Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Filmcast, a podcast about movies. I'm David Chen, and I can't wait until the sequels for the movie we're going to discuss today, When Evil Creeps, When Evil Crouches, When Evil Prowls, and When Evil Skulks. <laughs> joining us today, joining me today is Devinder Hardwar. You say the time of churches has ended. I say don't threaten me with a good time. <laughs> and Jeff Kanata. Hey, um, just like hug your kids, man. <laughs> Indeed. Mm-hmm. Indeed. No, no disagreement there. Not too tightly, though. Yeah. <laughs> uh, those are, of course, all vague and oblique references to the fact that today on the podcast, we're going to be reviewing the horror film When Evil Lurks. It's out in limited release right now. It'll be on Shudder on October 27th. We got Chris Rudd from the Streaming Things podcast joining us for that review. It's going to be a great time. Uh, you can find more episodes of this podcast at thefilmcast.com. Email us at slashfilmcast at gmail.com. Find us across all platforms at the Filmcast Pod, YouTube, Threads, Instagram. Also find us on TikTok at the Filmcast. Uh, and support this podcast at patreon.com slash filmcast uh, slash film podcast. Sign up for ad-free episodes and exclusive after darks. Uh, before we get to what we've been watching today, a couple of pieces of film news I just want to mention. First of all, I did want to give a shout out to Taylor Swift, the Eras Tour, which made almost a hundred million dollars at the box office this weekend. Uh, it will probably be one of the top 10 films of the year by Box Office Gross. And by the way, a movie that none of us knew existed three months ago, you know, uh, or four months ago. Uh, so, I mean, nobody uh, knew it existed, right? It just, right. Hey, concert movie. Yeah, it's a, it's amazing. I've seen the Eras Tour in person. <laughs> it was an amazing show. It, it doesn't surprise me that it's doing so well at the box office. But just wanted to give a shout out to Taylor Swift because uh, it's a really it's been a really difficult time in mm-hmm. the film industry she needs and, more praise dave right and she no, needs oh, more yeah. money so <laughs> shout out to taylor swift if there's someone who i'm thinking yeah this person doesn't get enough recognition yeah it's taylor swift but but seriously though it's you know uh the fall calendar has changed significantly uh dune 2 got pulled off uh pulled out ostensibly because of the strikes um there's not very much product in movie theaters right now. And so the the fact that uh, someone like Taylor Swift can come in and deliver something that will be beneficial to movie theaters, I think is actually really helpful. And so extremely grateful for that. Um, especially because there are signs all around us that the industry is dying in some ways, or at least the industry that we knew. This week, news broke that Best Buy will no longer sell physical media after the 2023 holiday. Now, I want to say, Man. first of all, that this is... Uh, the way this is reported is very <laughs> weird uh, because a lot of headlines, like Variety, USA Today, they're reporting that Best Buy will no longer sell Blu-rays or DVDs. Um, and, and then there have been some corrections of people saying, no, 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 it's only DVDs. Uh, I'm not sure what is true. If it's just not DVDs, that's actually not that big of a deal. But whatever the case, Best Buy has not done a good job of clarifying. So I think, you know, it's out, it's on CNN, it's on CNBC, like it's on everywhere that they're ending physical media sales for DVDs and Blu-rays. And Best Buy has really done nothing to correct that. So I I don't know 100% what's going on and maybe they'll still walk it back. So I want to give that caveat to begin with. But it does really feel like, you know, Devendra, I think you predicted, maybe you and I predicted a long time mm-hmm, ago, mm-hmm. 4K UHD is going to be the last that's it. physical format. Like, this, that's it, right? There's not going to be anything after Buy that. Buy as many as you can. I still have HD DVDs. 
like sitting somewhere <laughs> in a box. So you have an HD DVD player? I, I do. Yeah, I actually do. You use it's the a, Xbox 360 attachments no, for the no, HD DVDs? I bought a computer <laughs> thing that does uh, Blu-rays and HD DVDs uh, for, for, for storage purposes, you see. Um, but yeah, get those 4K blues. Keep them safe because I don't know how long this whole thing's going to last. Yeah, yeah. It, it really is a real... Now, look, I think... It's it's easy to think that physical media is doomed because Best Buy is no longer carrying it. I don't think that's quite the case. Uh, you know, that's vinyl, pretty bad. That's yeah, it's, pretty it's, bad. It's pretty bad. It's pretty bad. You know, but I think you know vinyl is still around today, right? Like it's not. It's and 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 I think DVDs yeah. and Blu-rays will become like vinyl one day. Vinyl required be- the near death of that format. Plus, you know, a public that was so uh, put off by like what came afterwards that you know they went back to it. But it, maybe, maybe, sure, yeah. I think there's still going to be companies willing to put out physical media for a long time. Sure. You know, I'm, I'm thinking companies like Arrow. I'm thinking companies mm-hmm, like Criterion, mm-hmm. uh, companies like Kino Lorber, like more niche companies, I think, will continue to But you're going to be out. spending like $50 plus per disc at that point. So, yeah, maybe. Yeah, it's going to be rough. It's going to be back to the VHS days, basically, where it's like you you have a treasured object if you own physical media. Back then. Maybe it's we still got a little bit. Of, we still got. I'm guessing a, about a decade <laughs> is my guess, Devendra. But uh, you know, there's still yeah. several major retailers of physical media. You still got um, uh, Amazon, Target, and Walmart. Basically, will now become the biggest purveyors of physical media in the country with no Best Buy anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it is a shame because Best Buy would usually have great deal editions like yeah. steel books. They'd have deals. They'd have all this stuff. Now all that's gone to be and to be replaced by what? I'm curious. You know, like. They're going to put like more washing machines in there. Like what? Uh, I don't even know what's going to be. Maybe they're going to expand their gaming because apparently Best Buy will still sell physical video games. Mm-hmm. But I think it's probably only a matter of time for that as well. Like you know? it's all so. phone accessories and maybe they're going to get into Funko Pops too. Yeah, <laughs> they got a lot of Funko Pops to sell, yeah. man. Yep. Yeah. Uh, Jeff, I know you collect the least physical media among the three of us. Does this Indeed. news have any evoke any feelings in you whatsoever? <laughs> I certainly sympathize with what you guys are talking about. I, I'm not, um, you know inured to this this sentiment i think that it is absolutely uh, a loss not to be able to have the choice to have physical media to have something that you own and that can't be uh removed from any service i do think that is a, a net negative for this media for this hobby that we enjoy for for you know enjoying the classics and having them readily available is it something that's going to affect my life? Uh, probably not as much as yours, but uh, I def- I'm, I'm certainly sympathetic to it, no doubt. Yeah, it's it also comes on the on the heels of Netflix sending out its last DVDs and Blu-rays, right? Like yeah. it, it shut down recently. I think it was in September. It shut down. Yeah, um, its physical media arm. So they, really, they, does... they, they couldn't afford to keep doing that, but they did afford to send a create a nice send off ad for the disc <laughs> business. I was very yeah. confused by that. It is a bummer because Netflix right now has somewhere on the order of 3,500 to 4,000 movies on it, right? And that that is just a very small number compared to the total number of movies that have been made and certainly the number of movies that it offered available via physical media. I think that um, there's going to be, you know, I I lived before you could watch anything you want and I think I will live after you can watch anything mm-hmm. you want. I think the time when you could just have anything you wanted readily available is going to ultimately be a small blip of uh, it's going to be a cork in time yeah. rather than this thing that lasted, you know, that's so weird to think about Jeff. You know what I mean? Like, 
Because I think we all thought, oh, th- we're in a new era. It will just be this way from this now on. This is the new right? normal. This is, is it. what we thought. This is, yeah. This is it. We have access to all the world's information. And it's like, no, you have access to some of our cultural history, the ones that companies can justify uh, on their quarterly earnings reports, basically. Uh, and that's it. So anyway, uh, hugely bummed out by this Best Buy news. Uh, I, I hope they walk it back, but I, I'm not hopeful. Uh, and yeah, 4K UHD is the last format. If there's any movie you even think you might want to revisit someday, get it on physical media. Own what you it, love. Yeah. That's the main thing. Yeah. That said, yet, I, I, I cannot tell you the last time I set foot in a Best Buy. Mm. It's been well, years. I, wow. I, I, I go relatively with some frequency, yeah. you know? Yeah. I, I go, you know, I, I, I like to leave enjoy, my house, guys. I, I go walk around. Yeah, see, walk see around. See what's on the shelves. Open see how mind. the normal people, yeah. you know, interact. <laughs> Jeff? I don't. What? Who? What? Yeah. Who yeah. are you talking about? I want to be where the Best Buy shoppers are. <laughs> <laughs> I want to um, be where the Blu-rays are. Yeah, guys, I needed, <laughs> I needed like a, an anchor, like one of those multi-USB chargers, and uh, I needed it the day before I had to go to an event. Walked into Best Buy in Brooklyn. It was amazing. They were playing music. It's just people living their lives. I wish we had more of that. Both of the people in the store were excited to see me? The store me? was full, Jeff. Oh, okay. Right. Yeah. I, I don't understand how the hoi polloi works, you know? <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Uh, this is sad. I, I, this is sad. It's, it's, yeah. it's sad. It's like the end of a, a massive era. And yeah, I, I had a great time. Um Walking around Best Buys and oh, look at the cool art here! Oh, a show I've never heard of. Maybe I should check this out. You know, like all this stuff, and um, it's it's unfortunate that uh, that that's going away. But anyway, and end of another era. And uh, I still believe physical media has a future. But yes, Divinger, it will be much more niche, and it will probably be much more expensive. You know, well, yeah. they're still being sold in. Targets and Walmarts, and I think For when now, when, when Amazon, those yeah. go away, yeah. that will be the real death knell. Yeah, I think. Mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Uh, and then it will be like you have to go to like deepdiscountdvd.com or yeah. you know Arrow's website or Criterion Collections website, you know, to 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 get them. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think I feel like Criterion is going to survive for a long, you know, like they've shown uh, they they've done seen, the thing. Yeah. I haven't seen their financials, but they're still making DVDs and Blu-rays, and they're not, <laughs> you know, they're not um, they're selling them off their own website. I'm and cinephiles want their streaming service, so I th- I don't know about the numbers for their streaming service, but I pay for it every year, yeah. even though I go months without watching Criterion Channel because yes. I want to support that you whole thing. Support, yeah, everyone should subscribe to Criterion because it yeah. is a preserver of our cultural history. Yeah, and uh, they, you know they don't always make the right choices, but uh, they certainly, if I had to choose like what's on Netflix right now versus mm-hmm, what's on Criterion mm-hmm. to take to the to desert island, it would be the Criterion. Exactly. You know? so. At some point, we need to sit down and talk about um, another form of physical media we could all have a, a, a server filled with media in our homes that you could pick up and take anywhere and that is available offline. So I don't know. I'm going to go NAS server eventually. Wow. We should have that discussion. Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, maybe we won't have a choice at some point. You know what I mean? Yes, so, yeah. I'm scared. Yeah. All right. Well, those are some of the film news items that are going on in the world right now. Let's get to some of what we've been watching, guys. I want to talk about this movie I watched on Paramount Plus slash Showtime called "The Kane Mutiny Court Martial." I've heard of this. This is William Friedkin's final film. Showtime exclusive. Showtime, Showtime exclusive. That's right. Uh, 
on his team. Uh, so, it stars Kiefer Sutherland, Jason Clark, uh, Jake Lacey, Monica Raymond, and Lance Reddick. So y- it's basically the work of two late legends, aka Lance Reddick and William Friedkin, and also one living one, in my opinion, Kiefer Sutherland. Mm-hmm. And overall, I like this movie. Uh, I actually I watched a couple of courtroom dramas this week. I didn't know they were both courtroom dramas, but. Um, the Kamiani Court Martial is based off of a play. The entire movie, or 90, 95% of the movie, takes place in and around the courtroom, right? So you're basically nice. watching nice. this court martial unfold, and you are placed in the position of a juror. Uh, so, like, uh, not like, not like, there's no jury at a court martial, but what I mean is that um you don't actually see anything that mm. happens that people are describing right like you you just hear what people are describing and you need to decide for yourself what is true and what is not true it it almost um, sounds like you're you're selling me a vr movie made by william friedkin starring Kiefer Sutherland i would also do that i would sit through that vr experience it's kind of like a t- it's kind of like mm-hmm. a tv very it feels very tv movie like just mm-hmm. in terms of budget in terms of it's lit feels like it's lit like a tv tv movie um Honestly, part of me feels, guys, like this movie could have been a podcast. You know, like how, you know <laughs> how some emails could have been, how some meetings could have been an email. Like, yeah, the Kane yeah. Mutiny Court Martial. You, you could listen to a podcast of just the audio from this movie, uh-huh. and you would lose a little bit of like the facial expressions and the acting and performances, but you would still be able to enjoy it a great deal. Just watch, just listening to because it, mm-hmm. it's you know. 99% dialogue. That's, that's all. There's, it's just people sitting in chairs talking in one room. That's You're speaking thing. my language, Dave. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, you watch this entire court martial unfold because of an act of mutiny that occurred on board uh, a ship. I think the USS Kane. Uh, and through the course of the movie, you see, uh, you know, like what happened, like what you, you, you try to, you as a, as a viewer, try to piece together who's actually telling the truth. Uh, and I found it to be a fascinating experience. It's weird that this is the last movie that the guy who made legendary movie, Exorcist, French Connection, um, uh, Sorcerer, like the, that guy, like this guy, mm-hmm. you know, who, in my opinion, I've, and obviously I've been revisiting a lot of his work recently, you know, that this is his final work is like, it's very um, subdued from a filmmaking perspective. You know, there's not very many camera setups. There's not very many camera angles used. It's just... People talking in a room. Um, there's some movies I've seen that are adaptations of plays like Fences. I'll give you an example. Like the Denzel Washington movie Fences, where it's like... August Wilson play. Uh, August mm-hmm, Wilson, right. Mm-hmm. Where he, you, you really feel like um, there's some like stylistic flourishes, right? That Denzel Washington... I think he directed that film, if I'm not mistaken, right? Like where yes. he did to try to, um, to, make, to kind of quote-unquote justify... This being a film instead of instead of uh, just a play, and um, there's really none of that in this movie. It's it's really just we're straight Ca- up just, camera in a courtroom. It's just yeah. camera in a courtroom, you know. Like oh. there's and there's a couple of varieties of camera angles, and that's it. That's the but whole. You know thing. what I miss, Dave? I miss a camera in a courtroom. Mm-hmm. I miss the Good Wife and the Good Fight. So yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Sign so me if up. That, if that's your kind of thing, I think you will actually really enjoy this movie. I I, I liked it. I I found myself quite engrossed by the end of this movie. Uh, and everyone puts in an awesome performance. Specifically, Kiefer Sutherland is is, is awesome in this movie. Like Great. he is playing a completely different character than he usually plays, and I really appreciated that. Also, it's like 
wild to see Kiefer Sutherland in a courtroom drama after like he was also in a few good men. He was very good at yeah. that as well. Yeah. Um, similar dynamics as a few good men in some ways, but Kiefer Sutherland's playing like a completely different type of character. And I appreciate that, you know, this guy mm-hmm. is probably rich beyond all imagination. Um, he can just play the same character for the rest of his life if he wants to, but he really tried to stretch himself with this movie. So um, I got to give props to Kiefer uh, for his performance in this movie as well. Kiefer should absolutely uh, do a podcast. I would, <laughs> I would pay money for a Kiefer, Kiefer in my ear holes. Yeah, like, I mean, Devinder and I are huge fans of, it's, of Twenty Four in the day. So it's yeah. a podcast that is one hour of time in real time. <laughs> in real time. Uh-huh. Oh wait, oh wait, that's every podcast. Yes, but it's also <laughs> it's a it's Kiefer reading children's stories to help you fall asleep. Like mm-hmm. I want him purring in my ears so I fall asleep peacefully. Yes. Yeah. But uh, I, I dug this. I, I just really appreciate the idea of like. You're watching. You're you're trying to figure out what the truth is from different people's recollections of it, and like that's just a really interesting way to tell a story. Again, I know it's based off of a play, but uh, I thought the movie was still effective. Uh, and I don't know if I would say it's a it's a worthy send off for William Friedkin, but it's certainly a compelling piece of work, and that's definitely what William Friedkin has been known for his entire life. So, uh, yeah, I, I appreciated the chance to watch it, and the movie is also dedicated to Lance. Red- so seeing like. Dedicated to Lance Reddick, directed by William Friedkin, like in the credits, it really got me in the feels, you know. So seems like profoundly anyway. my jam. I yeah, know. I yeah. check it out, Jeff. Ch- check it out. Um, but yeah, it's the Kane Mutiny Court Martial. It's available on Showtime uh, and also Paramount Plus. It's one thing I've been watching this week. Let's take a quick break for a sponsor. We'll be back with more uh, what we've been watching right after this. All right, Devinder Hardware, hit us up with some of you been watching. Sure. You know what's great, guys? RoboCop. You know what's also great? Five hours of talking about RoboCop. (laughs) I have been watching RoboDoc, the creation of RoboCop, which, by the way, should not be confused with the 2009 movie, National Lampoon's RoboDoc, starring Alan Thicke and David Faustino. It's not that movie. Um, This is a super nerdy, deep dive, um, you know, behind the scenes look at making RoboCop with a ton of... uh, a ton of interviews, like talking to all the people you want to hear from, for, to Paul Verhoeven, to Peter Weller. Uh, Nancy Allen is here, too. Um, I've been watching this on and off over the past few nights. And uh, again, the sort of thing like could have been a podcast, could have <laughs> been a, a very like a geeky YouTube series or something. But no, this is a Screambox uh, streaming exclusive. So if you subscribe to that network, um, you can watch this. I just bought it on iTunes because it's 13 bucks and I don't, I don't want to like deal with Streambox or anything. Um, but yeah, I think it's well worth it. Like this is, this feels like a full on, uh, great recollection uh, of the making of uh, RoboCop. Like I've seen a lot of behind the scenes stuff. I've seen the making of, uh, features and, um, yeah, I've heard about this movie forever since I was a kid, but this documentary, I think just got me really, really amped. And I'm also in a RoboCop state of mind, right? Because Jeff, did you, did you play the RoboCop game? I just downloaded it. I haven't had yeah. a chance to to try the the demos on a Steam Next Fest right now. There's a demo out right now, and apparently, like from what I've heard, it's not just like a RoboCop game. Like it is like a RoboCop sim where yeah. you can like do police work and do like <laughs> uh, community service work at the front desk. So I just I've been thinking about RoboCop guys There's, and how great this movie. Evidently, is. so uh, we mm-hmm. had a guest on DLC this week talking about the RoboCop demo, and evidently, there's a section of the demo where you're playing as RoboCop. You're sitting behind a desk. Yes. And a woman comes in and says, Can you help me find my son? And you and you turn and you type under the computer a bit, and Robocop turns back and says, 
ma'am, your son is dead. And then it says, mission complete. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Robo. (laughs) Community helper. Anyway, I I love this movie. I love hearing about like the everything that went into it. Um, you know, it starts with like the conception of the idea too, which uh, it it does like hit some things that I didn't quite um, that uh, things that honestly felt a little new to me too. Like it starts with um, uh, who is it? Uh, to the writers, um, Michael. Let me see here, Michael Miner and like the Edward Newmeyer, who's the one we always talk about as like the co-creator of RoboCop, and them especially like Newmeyer talking about coming up with the idea um he was like working on sets and was like on the blade runner set at one point and was like a uh, a little a little aghast at the idea that beautiful uh, looking humans could be called robots and he was like that's not a robot i know what a robot looks like it's a big metal man um but like it, it is fascinating to trace the sort of like um the aesthetics of blade runner also influencing Niemeyer, also influencing um, Verhoeven too, who was doing these like really realistic uh, war films and like just very grounded movies. I think this is fascinating. If you love RoboCop as much as I do, um, I think this documentary is worth a look. And also RoboCop is fantastic. Like talk about a movie that just ages so gracefully and so terrifyingly too. Like it was so prescient and we're kind of just living in that world now. Uh, well, that is what's the name of the the Robo 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 Doc Robo Doc Capital D yeah Capital Robo, D like Ro- Capital C for Robo Robo Doc, Doc for... which is a four plus hour long journey into the making of RoboCop yes always a tricky proposition uh-huh. when you get to a situation where there's a movie you want to watch and it's available on an obscure streaming service. Or you can buy it. So do you, do you sign up for like a free trial for the obscure streaming service and then you could, cancel it? You could. You could get or, Streambox like through Amazon Prime Video. Yeah. So, so you that, could do that. Which is yeah. a great way, you know, like Prime channels, I find, because you, you don't need to create a new account anywhere else. Mm-hmm. You can just use your, your Prime Video channels. But um, I salute the buying of documentaries as well. I, so, I bought it because you know. like, people spent years of their lives doing the research and work and putting this all together. I'm like, I'll pay for it. It's fine. Yeah. That's awesome. I, I really want to check this out because I'm a huge fan of RoboCop as well. So, mm-hmm. um, Anyway, uh, RoboDoc. Uh, uh, directed, check. by the way, by Eastwood Allen and Christopher Griffiths. So shout out to them for like just getting this whole project together. Yeah, yeah, indeed. All right, Jefferson Kanata, hit us up with something you've been watching this week. I checked out a new series on Paramount Plus called The Gold. The Gold! Uh, and this is a, uh, a six-episode crime noir kind of heist movie or show um british it's it's based on a true story of a robbery that happened in 1983 uh called the brinks mat robbery and the i the what happened was and this is not a spoiler because this is what happens before the show starts what happened was um the the uh these robbers decided they're going to rob a bank and they go in, they have the place all, all, you know, plotted out, the whole, the whole job all plotted out. They're going to go in and they're going to steal all this money. But when they get there, what they find is 26 million pounds, you know, British pounds worth of gold. They didn't anticipate stealing gold. They have no way to use gold. They have no way to fence the gold. <laughs> They've got gold when they thought they were going to get money. 
but they have way more gold than they ever thought they were going to get money. So they take the gold. Uh, that is the setup. So this is a heist movie that is about what happens after the heist. The heist is, is, is like the first minute and a half of this movie. What actually, or show, I should say, six episode show. The, uh, the interesting stuff comes in when they have to deal with the gold. And this is, this show is awesome. This show is so juicy fun. It's, it's, a, it's sort of a procedural, you know, it's, it's into the nitty gritty of how you go about doing it. Very reminiscent of The Wire to me because you've got, you're, you're watching the, uh, the criminals and you're watching the coppers that are trying to get them. And both of them are very sort of blue collar, like, you know, nose in the dirt, doing the work. It's, it, it reminds me of The Wire in that way where it's really about the like the process of how one goes about a turning gold into money, which harder than you might think. <laughs> if you got a whole bunch of gold, you've got so much gold mm -hmm. that it would literally affect the economy by wow. removing that much gold from the economy and then putting that much gold back in the economy. It, it will at, at you know, 1983, 26 million pounds worth of gold is like economy breaking. So like, how do you even transform that into, into usable currency that you can spend without getting noticed? That's interesting. But also, then you have this whole uh, copper side uh, headed up by uh, Hugh Bonneville, who people might know from Downton Abbey. He's the, the patriarch of Downton Abbey. Uh, but he's playing like an uber badass uh, detective type dude. And uh, his side is like all of these people like in, you know, in uh, office rooms, just trying to work the case. Uh, very, uh, not flashy, but sort of like a blue collar, like really getting in there. Very fun. Mm -hmm. The thing about the show is that it's based on a true story, but it very much does not feel like it. I'm, you know, there's a tag at the beginning of each episode that, you know, things have been changed, to, you know, characters have been invented, et cetera, et cetera. I don't doubt that at all because this show feels like prestige television. It does not feel like a true story. It's written it with snappy killer dialogue. It, 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 everybody's sort of related to everybody in ways that just sort of only work on television and not, I don't know what has been changed exactly. And maybe those relationships are actually part of the true story, but it just, it, it feels too slick, too cool, too, well done to even be, um, mm -hmm. you know, based on a true story. Like everybody talks in this really heightened way. They, they, everybody refers to the bad guys as villains. Like even the bad guys are like, I was born a villain. We're all villains. Everybody's a villain here. We're all villains. And then the, the good guys are like, we got to catch a villain. Oh, he's a known villain. You know, it's, it's like they talk in cool ways that don't feel realistic, but awesome. Uh, there's a quote that I wrote down that I want to tell you guys. Uh, one this is, a, this is a, a, a scene in the in the show where somebody says uh they're gonna like they're gonna you know do it a different way they're gonna change the, you know they're gonna take on the system and they're gonna change the system and this woman says this country doesn't change there is nothing the system likes more than taking that there's nothing the system likes more than dealing with those who take it on that's when it gets to show its strength it's like killer line killer line but also like the show is just full of 
dialogue flourishes like that. Mm-hmm. And which makes me feel like, you know, it's not trying to be feeling like a true story, feeling like cinema verite. It's really going for prestige TV, cool, noir, awesome. And it mm-hmm. achieves it. I really have enjoyed the gold on Paramount+. Plus. It, it also sounds like a more uh, grounded version of like what you would do uh, with, with Die Hard 3, right? Like, what do you do with all this gold? <laughs> yeah. Can't, you can't just move it very easily, you know? Well, it doesn't It doesn't feel anything like a Die Hard movie. Like mm-hmm, I said, it mm-hmm. feels more like The Wire. You know, okay. it's like yeah, it's more dudes realistic, sure. sitting in a room, you know, smoking cigarette, commiserating about their wives and, you know, doing the hard work of like looking through papers to solve the case. Like it's not, there's nothing flashy about it. It's just like nose to the grindstone process work. But I dig stories like that. And, and this one's very satisfying. Your comment about the uh, gold impact in the economy reminds me of what's going on right now with those new weight loss drugs, uh, Ozembic and Wegovi. Uh, they're being they're made by Novo Nordisk, which is a Danish company, and apparently it's doing so well that it's like impacting the Danish economy. You know, like yeah. they're generating. It's like Novo Nordisk's market cap is like higher than Danish GDP now because of these drugs. It's just like you know. Um, it's it's out it's it's out there you know uh, yeah. anyway so it, it just uh, sometimes when you have um, a really valuable asset and a lot of it <laughs> it can impact the macroeconomic conditions so indeed uh, this sounds really cool though Jeff I, I will try it, to check it out slick. It's the gold I, I, I dig it a lot yeah yeah the gold on Paramount Plus speaking of digging I watched a movie called The Burial on Prime Video this is actually recommended to me by Devinder Hardwar and I still need to see it but yeah. I was just shocked that this movie existed yeah. So this is a movie directed by my, by Maggie Betts, and this is the kind of movie that if it had come out in the '90s, it it would have made like seventy five million dollars at the box office. Like it sure, is a sure. very crowd pleasing courtroom drama. I mean, Tommy Lee is. Jones, instant seventy five million dollars. It is yeah. right down the middle, like crowd pleasing. Everyone has something they can get out of this. You know, four quadrant courtroom drama. It's basically You're just like t- only doing courtroom dramas this week. Yeah, yes. I, I, I didn't. I didn't yes. know. I didn't know it was a courtroom drama when I You're watched the, it. You know, like, a themed week for Dave Chen's mm-hmm. what we've been watching. In, indeed. Well, you know, I I tried to uh, you know not watch trailers for things, and Devendra's like, hey, this movie looks good, and it had really good reviews. So I'm like, I'm gonna check this out. It was mainly like Jamie yeah. Fox and Tommy Lee Jones made a courtroom drama that I had never heard of. Like yeah. heard zero about this movie, and it is now available to watch on Amazon Prime. Yeah, insane. Yeah, and uh, it, it is highly enjoy- you know it's it's highly enjoyable. Like it's again again right down the middle. Very safe movie. Anyone can enjoy it. Get a you know uh, have a good time. I don't think it's a movie that's gonna really stay with you after after it's over. It's it's inspired by true events. That's the card they put at the beginning. Like inspired by true events, which I, I appreciate. I I think it's mm-hmm. nice when they they're not like based on a true story. I think inspired by true events is a much more soft statement that like uh, allows them to take a lot of artistic liberties which they did in this case um apparently this script was quite old and the writer director maggie betts uh took it off the shelf and was able to make the script her own uh added in a bunch of uh racial themes into the movie add a lot more people of color to the cast Mm -hmm. uh who are based off of real life people and I do think that those moves do make this uh, a far more interesting film. Basically, Tommy Lee Jones plays the head of a uh, funeral home, right? A, 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 ser- a set of funeral homes. 
and he gets an offer to acquire uh, some of his funeral homes. And then the person welches on the offer, like goes back on it. And Tommy Lee Jones is so angry. He's like, make a whole movie about it. I got to hire a lawyer to sue this guy. And he hires Jamie Foxx, who Mm -hmm. is typically a personal injury lawyer who like has a private jet and a really high flying lifestyle. Um, And he doesn't really deal with contract law, but uh, for a variety of reasons, he decides to take on Tommy Lee Jones' case. Mm-hmm. Jamie Foxx is awesome in this movie. He yeah, is on, so, the, on the level of like Jamie Foxx, right? Like he how is, how foxy is he in this? He movie? is. This is like eight out of ten Fox. Yes, level. like he give, is. Give me the Fox. He is super charismatic. Uh, he and Tommy Lee Jones, I think, have really solid chemistry. Um, it's kind of worth it if you if you like seeing Jamie Foxx put in a highly charismatic performance. You're gonna re- be really happy with the burial. So I saw people yeah. making like my cousin Vinny comparisons to this movie. Mm. Yes, sign me up. I miss this. Yeah, yeah. it's it's like of the, it's of that level. And you know, mm-hmm. I was reading an interview with Maggie Betts, and she was saying how like they don't really make courtroom dramas that much anymore. In general, yeah, like for for theaters, right? Like they don't, they don't or movies, I should say. Um, it, it it really is like a pretty rigid formula. It's very similar to like romantic comedies. You know, yeah. like yeah. You kind of understand understand the dynamics. You know how they're going to end. Um, and what she chose to do with this movie was embrace that formula, but also kind of try to add her own spin to it. Maggie Betts, I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think she did a pretty good job of it. Uh, but yeah, I mean, these movies have extremely rigid structures, and this movie does not deviate from that. And so, uh, if you, if but if that's something you like, if that's something you take comfort in, you'll have a great time with the burial on Prime Video. So. I enjoyed it. I thought it was a lot of fun, um, but it does feel like it's mm-hmm. a movie straight out of the '90s, and that's because I think it's it was written in in a different era, and uh, and you know, has I mean, it, the, it co-stars Alan Ruck too. Like you know, he's awesome. All, all your this, faves. All he's your faves awesome in this movie. This. He's he's great. Alan Ruck, who plays uh, uh, Connor Roy uh, mm-hmm. in Succession, he's he's awesome in this movie. Like, Every, talk about like the '80s '90s faces. Yeah, yeah. Everyone's great. In, everyone's great in this. You know, the cast is awesome. So. Um, yeah, Bill it's, Camp. Yeah, yeah, Bill Camp is in this. Yeah, it's it's it's, it's, a, it's a great cast. It's a great cast, um, but it's not like revolutionary. It's not mm-hmm, going to like mm-hmm. change your mind about anything. I just think it's like, oh, this is a fun courtroom drama that reminds me of the kind of movies. Remember? Do you guys remember when John Grisham movies came out like once a year? Yeah, you know, like The Client, A yeah. Time to Kill. Mm-hmm. You know, um, The Rainmaker. Like all these movies. It's really of that era. It feels like of that era. It feels like straight out of that era. Um, so if you find that kind of thing comforting, you're really going to enjoy the burial on prime video. Check it out. Divinder Hardware. What is something else you've been watching? Um, you know, I actually have two quick things in the Disney verse. I just want to mention at the same time, uh, okay. I did finish Ahsoka, which I think, I don't know what, what it's going to take. I don't Have you guys finished it at all or watched? I have finished much? it. I have okay. finished it. I haven't started Jeff, it. Like, I have not okay. started it. I feel like give it a couple episodes, Jeff. I do want to say like, yeah, a lot of my concerns from the from the beginning of Ahsoka were were true, but man, is it just basic lightsaber stuff, basic like cool Star Wars stuff? Yeah, that series yeah. did so well. Like, I, I do think it's fulfilling on that level. Um, similarly, I've also started watching Loki. Season well, let me uh, yeah. let me just say yeah. let me just yeah. say I agree that the Star Wars stuff in the show is really good. Like the mm-hmm. lightsabers, the dogfights, the visuals are awesome. And also the show itself is quite bad overall, I think. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Season, season it's, one it's, is... It's kind of a mess. It also like makes me realize, like, you know, we talk about the volume quite a bit, and it enables so many great things. But when it comes to things like action sequences and sword fights, it does feel a little limiting. Like, you yeah. start to notice that uh, 
this sort this uh lightsaber fight is on a really small like stage like people can't really move around <laughs> right. much and what i think I, back to uh attack of the clones yes what, what i wouldn't Sith. give what yeah. i wouldn't give for some lightsaber fights like in the prequels you know mm-hmm. uh, which mm-hmm. which had some problems but had some awesome lightsaber fights anyway uh ahsoka season one pretty disappointing in my opinion pretty disappointing, but, yeah. but i would say still worth a watch if you if you miss some star wars yeah stuff. Like, I, there, I, there, I, I there can, is good stuff in i there. can agree with that. i had a fun time with some parts of it so yeah mm-hmm. all right but davindra what else are you watching also loki season two and it, it, mainly i just want to say like it, it's totally fine it is it, it's a reminder that i think the first loki was the first season of loki was such a surprising thing because it was so inventive there were so many great big sci-fi ideas and that continues in season two i've only seen one episode so far but uh you know they have they have justin benson and aaron moorhead uh doing that first episode i like the sort of indie sci-fi stuff those guys have been doing together too um i talked about something in the dirt i think last year when it hit sundance so visually it's really cool it is really cool to have ki hoi kwan in uh in this show um i have more faith in where this is going because it's at least more compelling than whatever the hell was happening in secret wars like what a secret invasion secret, secret invasion. invasion like what a what a whiff that thing yeah was. secret invasion like, was a disaster oh my god um I have to say, I've seen the first two episodes, and the, I liked the first episode, and I thought the second episode was pretty terrible, in my opinion. Yeah. Um. So we'll we'll see. It's we'll uh, see. I, you know, like a lot of uh, shakiness going on here. But uh, anyway, I, I'm gonna be checking it out all the way to the end. But it's Loki season two, also on Disney Plus. Jeff Kanata hit us up with something else you've been watching. I checked out a new show on uh, Apple TV Plus called Lessons in Chemistry. Yeah, I've heard this, about this. Uh, Brie Larson, is that right? Brie Larson, exactly, starring uh, this. The best way to sum up the show is what if the marvelous Mrs. Maisel meets Oppenheimer? Hmm. Oh, okay, <laughs> okay, sure. <laughs> it's set in the 50s. Wow, wow. Uh, it is, um, uh, Brie Larson plays a uh, young chemist who uh, is, is, uh, uh, facing a lot of uh, sex discrimination, uh, gender discrimination, um, sexism, unable to progress in her field. Um, and at some point pivots and becomes a television chef. Sure. You know, uh, another one of those okay, yeah, stories, why not? you know, why that not? old chestnut. Um, this is very much physical too. It feels like, but yeah, I don't know if this is based on a true story. I don't. I don't know how that transition happens. Uh, I watched one episode, and that is all I'll be watching of the show. Wow, um, I'm out. I was excited about this. I love Brie Larson. I think she's amazing, and and she's really giving it her all here, trying uh, desperately to do something with this material. Um, you know, she she's playing a sort of socially awkward. Uh, I would venture to say on the spectrum uh, woman who is, uh, you know, tr- trying to make make it in a uh, oppressive environment of all these male chemists. Uh, this is the kind of show that w- wants to just like show you there's sciencey stuff happening. You know, uh, here's some sciencey stuff. Like for example, there's a uh, a scene where th- it, lessons in chemistry, right, is meant to be a double entendre. It is uh, she is a chemist. She, she's using her her chemistry training and knowledge and expertise uh, to make uh, very precise recipes at some point. Although that's only hinted at in the first episode. 
Um, but also chemistry in that it is a romance. It is a, uh, it, it seems to be a, uh, love story, uh, about how these two very improbable kind of awkward, socially awkward, um, science scientists, uh, come together. And in showing them kind of um, having some chemistry in the chemistry lab, the show is trying to demonstrate that they're real smart and we're going to do some chemistry stuff. So for example, there's a, there's a, an exchange where, you know, they're saying something and Brie Larson says like, uh, like, I'm not even going to do justice to how bad it is, but she's, she says something like, come on, Jeff, we're going to hear Brie Larson's impression from Jeff. Canales. No, no, no Brie Larson impression. She says something along the lines of, um, well, if we refer to Occam's razor here, we would note that it, 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 it the simplest explanation is true. And it's like, the, <laughs> it just <laughs> reeks to me of, Hey, we're saying a sciencey term. You know, mm -hmm. and it, the show does that over and over and over. It's just like, well, the peptides and the uh, nucleoids and it, it, it's trying really hard to just word salad. And I'm sure it all actually makes sense if I was a chemist, but the point of it is not to make sense to the audience. The point of it is to demonstrate mm -hmm. the IQ of our characters. Look at how, look at how IQ -y they are. Look how they talk. And uh, it really kind of rubbed me the wrong way. The, the, the shows, all of its subtext are on the surface. Uh, all of the discrimination that she runs into, which I'm sure was rampant at that time, still rampant today, too much, too much so. Um, it, it, it really feels heavy-handed. The show feels very heavy-handed about it rather than uh, sort of naturally presenting it. I mean, the first episode, like she's a scientist, but she's roped into being part of a beauty pageant she doesn't want to be in a beauty pageant but that's what the women do and it's like okay i get it i get it and i'm sure that kind of thing happened and is authentic to history whatever but the way it's presented feels so on the nose and so um lacking in any kind of of subtlety and i mean that's okay in the sense that like maybe it didn't have any subtlety in the in the truth of it but it just it doesn't feel artfully presented to me uh the mm. show I just think on the script level is pretty weak. And that's unfortunate because, you know, it's got some strong performances and it certainly has a budget. It's a period piece. I think it had potential. I'm just completely out after watching all the way through one episode. You know, it reminds me, Jeff, of the way you're talking about it. It reminds me of how, like, in Star Trek, they just drop, like, the most complete nonsensical techno babble, you know, like in yeah. general. Um, like my brother's positronic brain has a type L phase discriminating amplifier, you know, something Which like is that. Like, there's a, you know, when you do that in a sci-fi thing, if you're doing it for a purpose and, but this, and it, you know, a very similar purpose is being done here. It's just to demonstrate the sophistication of the character in a kind of abstract way. It's, mm -hmm. it's talking at the audience instead of with the audience. Like, like. Well, you know, I'm just—I haven't seen the show. I'm just like—I'm just kind of um, like intellectually exploring this with you a little bit, right? But like, they want to demonstrate the characters are smart, right? And I think you're saying like the way in which they do that is a little bit clunky, right? It's, it's clunky. It's, it's clumsy. It's—it's—it's it's, 
and, and everything like it, about it doesn't this. believe you you don't believe that they would actually talk that way basically is kind and of even if they here. do talk that way the way the way the show presents it feels like artifice you know mm-hmm, like even mm-hmm. if even if you are authentically presenting i think we as you know nerds have <laughs> <I've> probably experienced <laughs> There, wow. There's a whole generation. You're, you're, you're gatekeeping how people can be nerds, <laughs> how nerdy people can be, Jeff. Anyway, well, no, ahead. I'm um, saying that I, that's not what I'm doing at all. I'm saying that as as nerds, I think we've all experienced. There was a period of time in the, you know, in the '90s, uh, '80s, and '90s when, you know, there would be the nerd character in a show, and they would have to say the nerd thing because our hero would come in, and they would, and then invariably the hero would say. Okay, in English. <laughs> Except that we understood exactly what the character unit you know, was saying. But it was the point wasn't for the audience to understand it. The point was for the main character to be dealing with an expert in the field. Yeah. You know? Like look at how smart the egghead is. And that it feels very uh, inartful to me. It feels very and and I feel like the show on all levels is that. Like it, the way it presents its sexism and discrimination is that way the way it, the way it does everything feels that way to me inartful clunky heavy-handed uh and uh it's unfortunate because i think um this could have been a kind of a novel cool concept it's certainly neat like when she's you know it's, it's a weird uh, character that i've never seen a chemist who's also a, a a chef you know um and brie larson's awesome i love her so I was rooting for this show and I just, it really turned me off after only a single episode. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm sorry to hear that. Uh, sorry you weren't not a fan, but I know this has been touted as one of the big releases of the fall. So we'll see what people think when Lessons in Chemistry is released on Apple TV+. Plus. Uh, it's released. It's been out. It's out. It's out. It's out. Gotcha. Um, oh, I didn't know if you got, I didn't know if you got. No, it came out October 13th, the first, I believe, two episodes. Gotcha, gotcha. By the way, uh, Jeff, there's this comedy group online that uh, is called Chris and Jack uh, that I think makes really amazing sketches often about movies. And I'll send, I'll send you this one, but there's one called <laughs> In English, Please. <laughs> uh, and it's basically like a parody of like, you know, this guy's like, oh, I'm going to hack into the th- mainframe and introduce a vi- viral thing. And the guy's like, okay, in English, please. And he's like, he has to like basically continue explaining it over and over again until he's like, our happy computer make their computer <laughs> sad. You know, like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. so it's, uh, it's definitely a common trope. Anyway, uh, Lessons in Chemistry available right now on Apple TV+. Plus. Let's take a quick break for a sponsor and we'll be back with more what we've been watching right after this. All right, Devendra Hardwar and I had a chance to watch The Fall of the House of Usher on Netflix. It's a are new we, miniseries from Mike Flanagan. Are we Flanagan. doing a whole episode about this? No, we, we changed that, remember? We changed oh, it, Jeff. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. still on the schedule. Oh, that's my bad. Well, it's, yeah, but... Um, that will uh, change. That's going to change, yeah. Um, so... Another fall new, thing, yeah. This is the new Mike Flanagan miniseries mm-hmm. based off of the works of Edgar Allan Poe. Um, I, I, I am going to reveal the premise of the show. So if you don't want to know the premise or how the show works, um, then tune out for a couple minutes. But what this show is, is uh, it's actually hugely ambitious in mm-hmm. terms of its structure mm-hmm. and what it's trying to accomplish. Um, it's, it's called the fall of the house of usher. It's based off of Edgar Allan Poe story, fall of the house of usher. 
but every single episode of the show is titled a different one of Edgar Allan Poe's uh, stories or poems. Mm-hmm. And essentially, you're, you're, you learn in the first episode, uh, many of the kids in the family of Usher have died. <laughs> uh-huh. And in the subsequent episodes, you learn how they died, and they typically die in ways that map to one of Edgar Allan Poe's poems or stories, right? That's that's the whole yeah. series essentially. Love, I, love Mike Flanagan for a big swing, always right, a big right. swing. And, and yeah. there's a lot of stuff I'm not, you know, I'm, that's the basic. Pre- I'm not even saying a bunch of other stuff that happens. I'm not even talking about a bunch of the other framing devices or anything like that. Uh, but yeah, we were all huge fans of Midnight Mass. I think that was like we all thought that was a masterpiece. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Devendra, I know you were also a huge fan of Haunting of Hill House. I love um, all his stuff, even like the the last one he did, which was the Christopher Pike story. Not as good as like you know his other series, but I love Mike Flanagan. Like I, as a storyteller, he is a guy. You tell me Mike Flanagan is involved in something, I, I pull up a blanket, I'm like sit down, tell me a story, <laughs> Mike Flanagan. Yeah, that's what I want. All right, so I'm really curious, Devendra Harder, what did you think of the fall, fall of the House of Usher? Well, I'm about halfway through right now, and I am loving it because to me, um, it it is hugely ambitious. I'm not like super familiar with the works of Poe, but I know what he's like hinting at here. Um, I will say this is a great series um, for anybody who was like looking at Succession and was like, "Man, I wish these characters would all die horribly," because there's a lot of Succession vibes in here. But also, I realize um, not only is Mike Flanagan a good storyteller, I also think he is just like. He is one of my favorite people when it comes to like casting folks, you know, and whoever he's working with for casting too. He typically works with people over and over again, but every time like a new cast member appears, I'm just like, I I feel like Key and Peele doing the uh, the Liam Neeson thing, (laughs) like like, Carla Gugino, Karen Sisko herself. Oh my god, Bruce Greenwood. Oh, the original Captain Pike. Hell yeah, Mary McDonald. From Battlestar Galactica. All right, let's go. Um, every every single person in the show, I just kind of feel that way about. So it's like I just feel like I'm in very good hands. Um, I think the, the structure of this, uh, not to mention Carl Lumbly, Carl Lumbly, Mantis, Mantis himself, himself? Mantis himself. Yes. Oh my god, indeed. Um, but yeah, uh, first of all, Flanagan seems to be the only person who is casting Carl Lumbly in major roles these days, and I miss him. I miss wow, his wow. face. Spoken like someone who's never seen Falcon in the Winter Soldier. Demindra. That's true. I did see that. <laughs> I, I forgot I saw that. But uh, listen, I love that man. I love his energy. I love yeah, seeing he's, him he's pop a up. Great, a great character actor, Carl. And Lumbly. he is great here because he is playing like basically the DA that is trying to uh, get this family, uh, or at least get the head of the family, played by Bruce Ween, uh, Greenwood, uh, in prison. Um, I, I think the scope of this story is really cool. I think all the characters are just very interesting. And it's all really well done. But also, Flanagan just knows how to use these people because Bruce Greenwood, as a sort of like patriarch of this very rich family who has a very like you know trauma traumatized backstory of his own, I think is just fantastic. Carla Gugino as sort of like the living force of evil, just like it really uses her so well. I'm just like always entertained watching this. Also shocking to imagine that um, Bruce Greenwood, a lot of his work in the series, I believe, was just like emergency reshoots because it was originally Frank Langella in that role. And he was yes. uh, he was he fired was, for was fired inappropriate comments half, halfway through yes. production. He was fired and replaced by Bruce Greenwood. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, they had to reshoot a bunch of stuff. I think th- so. Th- this is Brisker under duress. Also, <laughs> yeah. it's like we we yeah. got to get this done, buddy. Um, I think he's fantastic here. I, I I love everything about this show. It's just so much fun. I love having my annual Mike Flanagan fest of just like creepy, weird horror that uh, takes some big swings, give me some big monologues. Um, I know he's moving to Amazon next with his future projects, but this is a pretty wild way to go out for Netflix. I have seen all eight episodes of The Fall of the House of Usher, and uh, I I think it is why I would describe the quality of the show as wildly mixed. Mm-hmm. Um, I think particularly tonally, it is really confused, and uh, and and honestly, I wonder if part of it is the result of the fact that they needed to reshoot half of the show, uh, or at least parts of half of the show. Uh, because they replaced, you know, one of basically the main character with yes, Bruce yes. Greenwood, right? And so, like, like replacing Brian Cox from Succession, basically. exactly. It would be like, yeah. wow, you, how would that be different? And it really feels like there's some things that are, like, it feels like some ideas are dropped halfway mm-hmm. through the show. Like, I'll give you an example. Um, is it uh, Mary McDonnell? Uh, is the name of the actor? Mm-hmm. Right. Um, she, she has like this. Uh, really distracting accent that sounds ridiculous for the first part of the show. She does. And then it's basically gone by the end. It's like, <laughs> wow, that was an artistic choice that didn't work. And then they just got rid of it. You know, like there's stuff like that that um, is just feels like, oh, wow, it really feels like uh, mm-hmm. they they kind of piece this together a little yeah. bit. Uh, and Flanagan I, didn't direct the second half either. That was, uh, I think the cinematographer did that. They both, yeah. they both, I think they, yeah. I don't know if it's second half. I think they, each of them directed four mm-hmm. episodes, mm-hmm. is my understanding. So, um, I, I watched all the way to the end because look, like honestly, part of watching this show, the fall of the house of usher is like watching seven, you know, like, um, seven is a movie where, Oh, all of these people are going to meet a t- terrible end based off of the seven deadly sins. Right. Uh-huh. Um, if you're watching seven and you get to like the end of the third sin, you're going to watch to the end and see what the seven sins are. Like, it's like, okay, I got to find out what the seven sins, are. like, how are they going to mm-hmm. do this? Right. Mm-hmm. And it's a very similar concept here. Like every, uh, or not, I, I won't say like a significant number of the children meet their end in a way that's based off of the sins that, that they have, um, committed during their lives. Yeah. And so it's like, okay, you gotta, you gotta kind of see that through to the end. Um, the show is extremely earnest, you know, it's very like, People just saying poetry at the camera, like, you know, kind of. As Flanagan does. As Flanagan does. Yeah. Tons and tons of monologues in the show of just people, oh, let me tell you about the backstory of this character. Don't show. They're just going to tell. Like, they're just going to, here's a five minute monologue about the backstory of this character in episode seven. You know, like, it's just like, it, it has a very specific style that's very Flanagan, but I think tonally, it is all over the place. I think like mm-hmm. half of it feels camp feels like the Adams family. And the <laughs> other half feels like it's trying to be more like succession. Um, some people have referred to it as scary succession, but I think the, a much better comparison is knives out. It is like, it's very kni- knives, knives out, out yes, horror. Yes, edition, yes. Right. Like it's like a very, like it has the kind of over the top nature of knives out, but it's a horror series. Right. And, and so I think that makes for a fairly unwieldy combination at mm-hmm. times. Um, but I don't regret watching it all the way to the end because it, yeah, it's it, a ton of fun. Like, it is, yeah. As messy as it you're is, watching yeah. rich people die horribly, you know? And it's like, if you're that's watching something... Mark Hamill as they're like, he is such a good lawyer. They only need one man 
Arthur <laughs> Pym, played by Mark Hamill, and he is full on doing a thing. But, and I he, love when Mark Hamill does a thing. He, you know? It's great to see Mark Hamill, but it's it, that character is also kind of yeah, a summary of some of the issues I have with the show, which is yes, like yes. he's so over the top in that role. He's like he's clearly like super evil. That it's character like playing you know? the Joker, right? In the he's middle like of playing the Joker. Yeah, that's exactly right. That's <laughs> exactly amazing. right. Yeah. So um, I I think uh, I, I understand why people love the show, mm-hmm. but also I think the tonal imbalance is going to be a lot for people to get over. I am, yeah, yeah, I yeah. am a huge Poe head. I love Edgar Allan Poe. I is like, that what, we, what you call yourselves? Exactly right. I memorized the Raven in its entirety when I was in high school. You oh, know, like, you were I, that guy. I read okay. all okay. the Poe stories. You know, like I'm a huge fan. So like I was, was inclined to really love. <laughs> does it justice the to the Poe? Yeah, I don't. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I don't know if it does justice to it, but it's like no. I said injustice. Injustice. I feel yeah, like I'm, that's what you're feeling. Yeah, yeah. I, you know. And and here's the thing: is also we talked about uh, the Wes Anderson mm-hmm. old doll shorts, and like Wes Anderson, it was like the way I cracked it is you just have the characters saying the actual text of the Roald Dahl story to the camera. Like, that's what... he Wes Anderson has said, I wanted to bring the language to life, and the only way I could do that is you actually read it to the camera. And I think with Fall of the House of Usher, Mike Flanagan found, like, a different approach, which is they say the language of Edgar Allan Poe to the camera sometimes, right? And the rest of it is, you know, the dramatization. And I think it makes for an unwieldy marriage, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. Um, so... I'm pretty mixed on the show. It's not as good as Midnight Mass, in my opinion. But few things there's are. still there's yeah. still some awesome moments in the show. There's still like really fun moments in the show. N- nobody is doing it like Mike Flanagan. Yeah, like, that is yeah. my no thing. one is so it's like, just, like I'm always just here for attempt, it. Just attempting yeah. it is like is amazing. Like the the fact that he attempted to bring to life Edgar Allan Poe, like make it modern, have a, this huge cast of characters, and have all these amazing death sequences. Like it's amazing. Um, and so I gotta admire that. But was it completely successful? I would say it's about 70% successful, mm-hmm. you know? So anyway, that's the fall of the House of Usher. It's I would recommend right this now. one to you, Jeff. Like, I think you would enjoy this quite a lot, too. As messy as it I'm is. I'm curious. I'm, I'm curious. Yeah, what I I, I, I've heard Jeff's, you know, uh, comments on recent shows like Lessons in Chemistry and Flora and Son. And I'm curious, like, whether some of the things that bothered me would bother you, Jeff. Um, so One of my favorite yeah. things ever is Midnight Mass. Yeah, mm-hmm. so, same. I mean, literally same. ever. So, All right, well, that's The Fall of the House of Usher. All of the episodes are streaming right now on Netflix. And that is what we've been watching this week. Let's do a few weekly plugs, guys. <laughs> weekly plugs is a part of the show each week where we plug something else we've been making. Uh, I've been doing these intermittent broadcasts, broadcasts with Scott Mendelson. Over at therap.com, uh, he is as an encyclopedic knowledge of box office history. We talked this weekend about Taylor Swift's The Eras Tour, how well it did, how we should be thinking about how well it did, uh, how successful it was, and so on. A lot of different opinions out there, but I think you'll agree ours is the right one. Check it out at <laughs> youtube.com slash Dave Chensky, youtube.com slash Dave Chen SKY. Um, that's my conversation with Scott Mendelson. About box office, we're going to try to be doing those more regularly, but we're still in the process of working some things out. But uh, it's been a lot of fun to chat with Scott about box office. Okay, Devinder Hardwar, your weekly plug. Sure. Uh, over on the Engadget podcast, we talked a bit more about the MetaQuest 3, and uh, we had on Norm Chan from Tested, who is one of my favorite people online. He's also a big VR head. Uh, Norm put up a, an hour-long 
Quest 3 review, and I cannot compete with that. Um, but we had a good conversation about like, you know, what the Quest 3 represents, uh, the good and the bad of it, and the direction of VR and, you know, Meta's pursuit of VR and the metaverse and everything. So I think it's worth a listen. If you're interested in VR, check out the Engage podcast. Jeff, have you broken out your Quest 3 yet? Indeed, I have. And yeah. in fact, my, uh, my weekly plug is for this week's DLC podcast, where I talk at length about my experience with the Quest 3, uh, which I purchased. And also our big Spider-Man 2 review. Uh, both Christian and I got uh, early copies of Spider-Man. Both of us have completed the game, even though it has not come out yet. And we talk at length, spoiler free, uh, about uh, our nice. feelings, our thoughts about Spider-Man 2, a huge, huge release for Sony. We are also going to be doing a spoiler-filled uh, analysis of the game and its story, which is a quite interesting story. Um, you know, this this trilogy of Spider-Man games that Insomniac has put out really have created their own universe of characters, and the storytelling is cinematic. I mean, it's right up there with anything in the MCU. Really, really great stuff. So. Um, this week's DLC, we have uh, uh, Bruce Green on, who's awesome. Uh, we talk about uh, Microsoft uh, finally closing their deal to acquire Activision Blizzard King. Lots of really juicy stuff this week. So if you're interested in video games at all, if you're interested in our Spider-Man 2 review or the Quest 3, check it out over at dlcpod.com. Uh, we also want to give a plug to this podcast, patreon.com slash film podcast, how you can support the show and sign up for ad-free episodes and exclusive After Darks. Of course, we never want you to donate if in any way it causes you financial hardship. Uh, you can always support us for free. Share our reels on Instagram at instagram.com slash thefilmcastpod or leave a star rating for us on Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts. It really means a great deal and makes a big difference. Thanks so much to everyone who does that and who supports this podcast. Uh, it helps to keep us going. Let's get to our review of When Evil Lurks. Estás asustando a mi familia. No vi con mis propios ojos, estuve con él. Esto va a ser un infierno. No! Welcome to the Filmcast review of When Evil Lurks, which is out in theaters right now. It'll be on Shudder on October 27th. I'm going to read the plot summary of When Evil Lurks from the internet. Quote, the residents of a small rural town discover that a demon is about to be born among them. They desperately try to escape, but it may be too late. Joining us today for our conversation about When Evil Lurks, he is one of the hosts of Streaming Things, one of the top podcasts about the Netflix original series Stranger Things. He also entertains and enlightens millions of people each week with his TikTok page, Movies Are Therapy. Chris Rudd, welcome to the Filmcast. Hello. Thank you so much for inviting me. Chris, it's a pleasure to have you here. And uh, I think, you know, we actually started talking about this movie over text. I, this was not on my radar at all. Mm -hmm. uh, I was I was literally walking into Saw 10 after having seen Exorcist. And you're like, and, I need more. And, and I, got a, I got a text from Chris saying, hey, have you heard of this movie, When Evil Lurks? Terrifying. 
Uh, so Dave's uh, like, I, I'm feeling too good about myself. <laughs> Going from saw ten to exorcist. What can Maybe I there do? There is too much hope <laughs> to <know>. really <laughs> get freaked out. <laughs> Indeed. Um, so uh, then Devendra saw it as well, and so we decided to make it our main review for the week. But uh, Chris Rudd, let's start with you. What were your overall thoughts on this movie? When evil lurks. Ah, man, I, uh, so I actually was going to see, uh, the exorcist believer and canceled that ticket and saw when evil lurks instead, because I'd been at fantastic fest and I missed the screening when evil lurks, but the buzz was great for this movie. Like, oh, it's a wild time. The buzz for the exorcist believer was, well, it wasn't buzz at all. Uh, so <laughs> I like anti-buzz. Yeah. Really. <laughs> and I, I'm like, I haven't seen a movie like this in a theater maybe ever. It's certainly in a long time. So I went to check it out. I was the only one in there, <laughs> which I don't believe has ever happened to me before. I was like, literally not like, Oh, there was three people that I was the only one in a, in a massive screening. Where do you live, um, Chris? Because I, that happens to me a lot, but I'm also in the suburbs. So. <laughs> I live yeah. in Cincinnati. Okay. Um, so real, real city. Yeah. yeah well, I guess. It <laughs> <laughs> doesn't feel that way when you're walking around. Um, so I, so I, I'm, I'm already like a little nervous, right? I'm like, okay. Um, this movie, it's, it's weird because I can't, I don't recommend it per se. It's, <laughs> it's, it's a great movie. It's very well made. Uh, it, it does what it's trying to do. Uh, and I think it's funny that it came out the same day as The Exorcist Believer because yep. it feels to me more of a spiritual successor to the original Exorcist than the the, the legacy sequel could imagine being. Um, in 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 the way that it's so transgressive, um, it's shocking. It pushes boundaries, and I'm not one. I'm not a super squeamish person when I'm watching movies. I laugh very easily. I cry very easily, but I very rarely shout at the screen or, you know what I mean? Cringe in a way that, uh, that horror movies would want me to. Mm -hmm. uh, but I was grateful to be alone in that theater. Cause there were certain <laughs> scenes I was squirming. I was leaping forward and covering my mouth. I mean, I was being dramatic. Um, and a movie has not made me do that in a very long time. If possibly ever, mm -hmm. I think this is the meanest horror movie I've ever seen. Um, and I use that word specifically. It's, you know, cause there's been, grosser ones uh, but this is the meanest i don't know um, if this is as mean as the mist but it's pretty mm, mean yeah, yeah it's pretty yeah, mean. that's true that's yeah. true yeah um i did that ending of the mist still like sits in my heart and <laughs> yeah really, that's yeah. pretty rough pretty rough. yeah that's fair um that's fair but i think for a specific type of person mm -hmm. uh, and i don't even want to say for whom with it because it's kind of a spoiler it leads that that down that route uh, like i would warn specific people from even enjoying this uh, or trying to, um, I don't know for something ab about the way that, that Damien Rugna uh, made this film in particular, it just unsettled me. Mm -hmm. Um, there are movies like the sadness, uh, that really try their hardest to shock you in a way that's almost to me annoying. Uh, it's kind of, um, you can abstract those kinds of movies and, and enjoy them in a grisly way. Whereas this one was kind of grounded in a way that like truly messed me up. Uh, I drove home in silence. Um, I, I hugged my family when I got home. I mean, I'm not being a melodramatic. I, I went straight to my wife and daughter and like sat with them and tried to like, and my wife hates horror movies. And she's like, what's wrong with you? And I told her, I told her what happened in the movie. And she was like, sounds fun. And, uh, and I can't explain it to a normal person why you would want to watch that. But, um, 
Oh yeah, I don't know if that's a a, a review, yeah. uh, but that's how I felt. And, that makes but sense. I, I knew it was something special. Well, thank you for sharing that with us, Chris. On that note, you know, I will say there is a big. This is I've noticed this. There's a big difference between zero people being in your theater and one person being in your theater. I'm just gonna put oh, that out yeah. there. Oh, I yeah. uh, I went to go see Dumb Money at like mm-hmm. a 10 p.m. Thursday night showing, and. There was zero people in the theater. I'm like, this is amazing. I have a pri- private screening, baby. It's a- David Chen is living large. And then literally, I'm going to say five minutes into the movie actually starting, not even the Nicole Kidman <laughs> stuff. Like uh-huh. one guy walks in, ruins it, <laughs> and sits down like near the front. I'm like, now our reactions to the movie are in dialogue with each other. You yes. know what I mean? As opposed to just, I'm enjoying the movie. Now when I'm laughing, yeah. I'm like... Is, yeah. What does he think about the Better, fact that now you were reminded you were in a public space? <laughs> Better you know, to have like five people in the theater than one person oh, in absolutely. the theater. Absolutely. One person like, in the theater is the most awkward it could be. It's like missing a bus by three minutes instead of 30 minutes. You know, it's like <laughs> you'd much rather miss a bus by 30 minutes than like, oh, the bus is pulling away from the station right when you get there. Imagine he uh, sat right next to you. Oh, <laughs> it doesn't it matter. In, in an empty theater, it's yeah. like they're sitting right it's next like, to you. It's it, like doesn't, that anyway. it doesn't matter how big the theater is. <laughs> yeah, indeed, indeed. All right, Devendra Hardwar, let's hear a little bit from you. You talked about this on uh, the what we've been watching last week, but uh, now we have a little bit more time to expand on our thoughts on when evil lurks. Tell mm-hmm. us about your overall thoughts on the movie. So I love this movie, but I also think it's incredibly hard to recommend for all the reasons you're saying, Chris. Like I think it is deeply affecting, um, deeply just disturbing because it is both a movie that I think embraces, you know, there, there are supernatural things going on for sure. This is not playing coy, but there's also something mundane about it too, about, especially about the kills, especially about just kind of what happens and who, like who is doing what. And to me, that is my favorite kind of horror. You know, like I don't, there are certainly people I've tried to warn away from this movie. I'm very sorry, Jeff, we're going to get to you and hear about your thoughts on this, but I love horror movies that just feel like pure dread, like dread oozing from every orifice, like pus from a possessed man. Um, I think of movies like The Shining. I think of Gore Verbinski's The Ring and Ringu as well. Like this is a movie that just has, it just feels like as soon as you start watching it, like you were not safe, you know? And the movie kind of reiterates that several times and it, doesn't like it doesn't really play coy it doesn't really uh keep characters safe and i find all that just really fascinating say in a similar way to the original exorcist too like just breaking those sorts of boundaries there's also a lot of like just really clever world building in here that i find really cool too i love when a movie does this. it's not just like oh man somebody's possessed it's like oh no 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 god is dead you know the churches are no more and that just saying that is like oh that's that's interesting. What is what is up with this world? And it builds certain things uh, like people are aware and not this isn't a huge spoiler, but people are aware of the idea of people being possessed. Right. They it's, call it's them, like it's yeah. like a commonly understood yes. thing in the world. The phenomenon like, oh, yeah, that's happening yeah, yeah. is yeah. commonly understood in the world. We're, like many horror films we watch, uh, like The Exorcist Believer, spend a lot of time trying to bring people on board with like what is actually going on. This is a world where like mm-hmm. everyone kind of has some sense of it already. Yeah. Right? It's like, yeah. Oh yeah. The rotten. I I've seen one of those at one yeah. point you kind of have a protocol and you have rules. Yeah. This movie establishes rules and those are always fun too. And when you're doing this sort of world building, I just find that stuff combined with 
the way this, you know, every sequence is built, the way things kind of flow together. And it's not a happy movie. It's not a movie you'll come away, you know, feeling good about the world, but it's also like, sometimes this is why I enjoy horror because yes, the, the world is pretty terrible. And honestly, right now it's pretty fucking terrible, but there is something about horror that is, um, I don't know if I would say cleansing, but it's sort of like, man, it, it, it kind of just like, releases me in a way to see something truly messed up like this and then there are a lot of them you know i I don't think as highly like i think a lot of horror movies uh punish characters for no reason are bleak for no reason and i just feel here like things kind of logically align and uh this entire journey just feels like i don't know just incredibly like fascinating and rewarding and terrifying to me i think this movie is also maybe in conversation with something like baccarat uh which we reviewed several years ago and that was also another like semi pretty much a genre movie but it was set in you know rural south america that was rural brazil this is rural argentina there's a lot of like political commentary here going on too about how these na- these communities feel abandoned yeah. about how the police don't give a shit how the rich people can do whatever they want i think that is it's not like the main text of the movie but i think that is all a really intriguing part of this whole tapestry of the narrative so yeah it's bleak yeah it's really it's a really rough watch but for the kind of horror i like um I think this is one of the best horror films I've seen in years. Uh, Background, by the way, I think was your number one film yes, of that year, if I recall correctly, in your heart of war. Mm-hmm. So yeah, the movie's background. Jeff Kanata, very curious to hear what you thought of When Evil Lurks. Well, Dave, I guess you could say that my thoughts on When Evil Lurks are best summed up in the form of a limerick. All right, let's hear it, Jeff. There's more than one harrowing shot in this movie that won't be forgotten. The kid's stuff was cruel, but I dug all the rules. For the love of God, don't touch a rotten. <laughs> hey, Jeff. That was Jeff, great. Sounds like Jeff great. caught something out of the movie. <clears throat> yeah, I really, um, I really appreciated a lot of how this movie is structured. Mm-hmm. I love a movie that just drops you in. Yes. And doesn't, you know, so many of these movies have a first act where we have to meet everybody and care care about everybody and we have to we have to establish normalcy before the S hits the F. And this movie doesn't do that. This movie we're just dropped into this experience uh in a way I think that great novels tend to do uh that that uh TV and film often do not um where you can just sort of start in media res, right? And and you, you'll pick it up. The movie I think gives a lot of credit to the viewer and allows the viewer to just hit the ground running and not be pandered to or talked down to. Like everybody in the world knows what's going on. You're going to get it. You're going to pick it up. And I, I, I really appreciated that level of trust that the filmmaker has with the audience. This, I mean, I, I agree with a lot of what you guys have said so far, uh, Chris and Devendra. I, it, it is a profoundly disturbing movie. Um, there are some really incredible sequences that are absolutely harrowing, absolutely disturbing. Uh, the movie, as Chris said, does what it sets out to do extremely well. Is it something I tend to enjoy things doing? No. Also, I sort of can't not say that the movie deals with uh, um, special needs kid mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. in a way that I 
found kind of offensive. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a little gross, yeah. Yeah, as as someone who is raising a special needs kid and um, often deals with, I mean, not to the extreme that is shown in the movie, uh, but often deals with, you know, tantrums that can't be stopped and outbursts that have no logical source to them. And um, the the fact that this movie sort of implies there's an evil to that, um, it didn't sit well with me at all. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, it just felt cheap. It yeah, felt like mm-hmm. a cheap way to get under the skin of the audience. And so much mm-hmm. of the other parts of the movie aren't cheap. They're very, I think, expertly executed. And the, what this movie seems to be saying about this autistic child in the movie is, I, I, I don't, know. I don't it, need to, we, I don't we need to can definitely it. talk more about it yeah, in spoilers because yeah, it's kind of weird. I want to hear more about your, I want to hear more about your thoughts on that, Jeff, in spoilers. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But uh, thanks for sharing that. Um, and glad that you found that there was stuff worth admiring. Mm-hmm. I, I got to say, I think I might be a little bit more negative on this movie than, than you guys. Um, first of all, I want to start by saying this movie is in theaters right now. It's going to be on Shutter on October 27th. Uh, I watched a online screener for this movie. Chris saw it in theaters. Um, the online screener that I watched had, in my opinion, a very bad subtitle translation. Like, mm. um, it was, you know, a good a good subtitle translation, like, makes the words sing and it makes everything really comprehensible. And, like, di- characters, uh, distinct characters speak differently, like, in different style. You know, like, th- that's what a good subtitle translation can do. Um, this subtitle translation was awkward and difficult to understand at times. Mm. Uh, and it felt like one person was like writing the subtitles for everyone, like very colloquially. Uh, it's, it's usually yeah. the same text, like between theatrical and like, yeah, I, I don't know. Sub, so I mean, Chris, yeah, you know, maybe I was, you I know, didn't Chris, notice anything. I talked like to Chris. That, yeah. He didn't experience that. So like maybe, yeah. maybe I'm being too overly critical, but I did not enjoy the subtitle translation. Mm-hmm. Um, I, are and, you, I wonder, Dave, are you spoiled by the wonderful, like on screen captions you see all day, every day <laughs> when you're watching everything else? Like, cause I captions can be, more descriptive, right? And they have more of a voice too. So that no, is no, no. I, I think yeah. it's like it's it just it felt to me like a a clunky transla- translation, probably uh, translation. Yeah. What, it, what it felt. To I am me. very um, used to clunky translations. Yeah, exactly, so it kind of like exactly. washes over my. It head doesn't sometimes. like yeah. kill the movie, but it's just like oh, I wish this was a better subtitle. And again, the re- you know a recent example of this was like Old Boy. I I have watched one subtitle translation for most of my life. Watched the, then saw the yeah. recent one. It was amazing. You know, like this yeah. way better. Yeah. Um. So so subtitle translations can make a huge difference. Um. I agree that structurally there's some really clever stuff about this movie uh, and the s- several sequences are really amazing. Specifically structurally, I'll just say uh, y- you, you, the movie keeps you guessing for a while as to who the main characters of the movie are going to be. And mm-hmm. that's something I really appreciated about it. It's like kind of, I, I, I always appreciate when the movie's like ahead of the audience, right? You don't want the audience to be ahead of the movie. And this is one of those movies where you're like, you're constantly guessing. Um, some of the sequences, the makeup effects, um, the sort of overall sense of paranoia and the tension that is in this movie, I think are really praiseworthy. I think, and there's some really novel concepts I'm watching. Yeah. Like I haven't seen that before on yeah. screen yeah. really. And that's, that's really cool. Well, it, yeah. It's amazing yeah. to mine new territory in this genre because yeah. Yeah. It, there, you know, there are so many horror movies and there are so many 
sort of lore based horror movies that are trying to kind of come up with a fiction that you know is scaring you in some in some way and this really feels fresh like it's it's evocative yeah. of things that we kind of know like you know i think chris you said it so well that this is a better exorcist sequel than exorcist yeah a believer yeah. um but i but it does feel like this fiction this and the way that everybody in the movie as you guys have pointed out is already on board, understands it. It feels like it's baked into the culture mm-hmm. that yep. makes it feel like we're kind of discovering something that's been around for a, forever. And so it doesn't feel like somebody's introducing a new, like, okay, well, this monster is like this. It's like, no, this has always been the way it is. And yeah. I think that's, it makes it feel really grounded and uh, even more disturbing for, for some reason because of yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. So the the things I didn't like about the movie, first of all, I agree with you guys. It is really mean-spirited, and I'm just not just not a fan of that in general. Um, wait, 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 wait. <laughs> I'm going to have to take a step back here um, because I know the kind of movies you love, David Chen. And, uh, Okay. Okay. All right. All right. All right. All right. Maybe I'm not a fan. Is too strong of a word, but it makes me feel dirty inside. It How about does. That? This one doesn't, doesn't I, mean I don't like it sometimes. Okay. Yeah. Um, but I'll I'll also <laughs> say I think that from a script level, mm-hmm. I did feel like, you know, Devendra, you alluded to the introduction of rules. Yeah. Uh, for the the situation, and I think what you want in a movie like this is like rules are introduced, and then like something happens towards the end of the movie that makes everything like lock into place. Like, mm-hmm. Oh yes. Like all the rules. I understood why they introduced all these rules and all that. Make- and that never really happened in this movie for me. Right. Um, so like on a script level, it just feels a little bit sloppy, but there's to more me that than- would be too clean. If that sort of thing happened to you, yeah. like I don't know. Yeah. Well, they but there's more than a, enough. Yeah. yeah. They set up this thing where like the seventh rule, mm-hmm. we, we're not going to tell you. Yeah. Yeah. At first. And you, you would think, okay, that's going to be, significant in some way and it's right. not really paid exactly. off exactly mm-hmm. yeah so yeah. so anyway yeah. there's more than enough to recommend it i still think it's like this is a very solid horror film but I, you know it has a 98 percent rotten tomatoes everyone seems to love this movie i was just a little bit cooler on it than everyone else but that makes sense. i still yeah, yeah. i still think it's worth recommending so mm-hmm. uh those are our overall thoughts on when evil lurks let's get to some spoilers for this movie starting right now I thought up an ending for my book. It makes no damn sense. Compels me, though. I didn't come here to tell you how this is going to end. When I buy a new book, I always read the last page first. That way, in case I die before I finish, I know how it ends. You can't handle the truth! Inconceivable! I came here to tell you how it's going to begin. I want to touch upon Jeff Kanata's point about Mm -hmm. uh, the autistic child in this movie. I, I agree overall, I don't think it's a very sensitive depiction. I had I started feeling like the opposite way of what you said, Jeff, which is there is a, a trope in TV and films like of mystical disabled people, basically yep. like someone being disabled and that gives them a power that helps them unlock something. And in this movie, it almost started like that, where uh, because the child is autistic, like the demons can't get into his brain, right? Is kind of mm-hmm. what how the movie explains it. Yeah. Um, but then, yes, like the movie does end with the child eating the main character's mom, and uh, and you know, a- as it's depicted in the end, it's like you kind mm-hmm. of get this like these evil feelings for like this child participated in an act of profound evil, and yeah. they are also well, autistic. Yeah. And and yeah. it's explicitly stated like, hey, the kid, the, the 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 wise woman is constantly saying, hey, you're that kid's evil. 
Mm. The, that kid's the evil one. The evil yeah, is in yeah. that kid. Look, yeah. and, and look how his hands are. It's like, I don't know. It, it didn't sit well. It, it feels it, like they're, I think the movie tried to be poetic about it. It's like, oh yes, because their, their minds do not, uh, function the same way as a, as, as a typical person, like it, as a neurotypical person, yes, that, that that makes it tougher for the demon. Maybe that makes them stronger or something. And then the yeah. movie just kind of kind of drops the ball there. Yeah, kind of draw. It, it does. It, that I, would already be mm-hmm. like kind yes. of invoking a, a commonly used trope that is uh, yeah. offensive. But like, uh, but then like the way it goes with it, it it kind of. Um, I feel like if this I, were I can understand like a, why someone would be bothered by it. Like, yeah. I, it's it's yeah. unfortunate because I actually think uh, we just we just don't see depiction of special needs people on screen in yep. general very often, right? Like, and so it, there is like potentially interesting territory to mind there of this, this father being yeah. put in this really challenging situation mm-hmm. right, yes. where they need to bring along their special needs child, but like potentially the special needs child and their mannerisms or their behaviors may like endanger the family and like how someone can navigate that. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, that it, sequence in the car that. where they're pulled over to the side of the road and uh, he, you know, he wants the, the apple ice cream and he can't find the apple ice cream. Like, I've lived that, mm-hmm. you know, like you got to have the one thing they focus, the, you know, the yeah. child is focusing on one thing and that is the only thing that will, will calm them. Uh, and I found that to be a, an amazing sequence. Like, oh yeah, adding that additional external tension. Yeah. It, 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 you know, it felt true and it felt honest. And then the, where the movie goes with it, 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 mm-hmm. it, it really disappointed me because it's kind of gross. Yeah. 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 I, I think the one the one guy kind of saving grace is that pretty much all the kids are kind of susceptible to this too. Like there is a line that um, evil likes children, and then they follow that up with chil- and children like evil, mm. uh, which is and just amazing. like that's amazing that's another line. one of those things. Like like the movie just kind of drops these bombs on you to like shape the world. It's like oh that is that's creepy, but we also have a long history of creepy kids in movies, you know? And yeah. why, why is that? It's because there was something inscrutable about these little you know, humans who are not fully formed yet. Um, so the movie kind of does that to all the kids, but I, I was disappointed with what it did with the autistic kid. Yeah. yeah. I gotta say, uh, we talked about this a little bit in the pre-spoilers, but the mm-hmm. way the movie opens, uh, beautiful, I thought was really amazing. And just specifically the like farmer and his wife and how they die. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't see it playing out. Like I, I'm like, Oh, that's like going to be the main character yeah. of the movie was like he, this guy, you know, the guy who owns the farm. And then like, like 15 minutes in that guy's dead. And it's like, mm-hmm. wow. Like that is a, a, a real shock to me. Um, mm-hmm. Chris, were there any parts of this movie that you felt were particularly inventive or, or fresh that you hadn't like experienced before? Um, like you guys have talked about, I mean, I, I found the lore uh, to be really impressive uh, in the way that they made it. I have no knowledge, admittedly, of, of uh, Argentinian culture or anything like that. But it, it seemed like Jeff was saying um, they made it they made it feel like a like a folk horror, like mm-hmm. something grounded in mm-hmm. uh, the spiritual beliefs of of cultures that exist in our universe. And and to me, I'm, you know, being ignorant, I was like, maybe, you know, um, but so that, and then structurally it was impressive as well, but they, they set the tone early on in so many different ways. Uh, like when you first meet the rotten and it's, it's the, it's disgusting. I mean, it's this body horror. Um, and I'm like, okay, that's where we're going to go. And I'm like, I set my popcorn a few seats away and like, you know, I'm not eating that anymore. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, And then with the, the couple that you were talking about, I think it's Ruiz, uh, and his wife, Mm -hmm. uh, when they die, uh, I, I was like, oh, okay, nobody's safe. You know what I mean? That's yeah. you had pregnant yeah. woman. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
Okay. Yeah. And then yeah. they push that envelope further somehow a few yeah. minutes later uh, when he gets to his ex-wife's house, mm-hmm. the main character, uh, Pedro, I think. Um, and that was where I was terrified because mm-hmm. it's like, you're going to do things to me that I, I feel like you're not allowed to yeah. in movies. You know what I mean? Like that's, yeah. that's where you've gone now. Nobody yeah. is safe. Nobody is safe. Am- like, Mm-hmm. There's an amazing, um, th- just the filmmaking of that progression where you, he takes his clothes off and then you see the dog sniffing the clothes mm-hmm. and mm. it, it sort of effortlessly communicates a danger yeah. to the audience because you got like the the dog, <laughs> we don't even know exactly how it works yet. But there, there's right. a right. sense of virality. Like yeah. you got to burn yes. all your clothes. Yeah. You got to like, and not, we're like, like oh, yeah. and then the, yeah. we, but the dog, there's nothing weird about the dog. The dog is just yeah. acting like a dog. And then yeah. it walks over and it's play, and the kids are playing with it. But, but the way the cameras keeps lingering on the dog, you're like, there's something, mm-hmm. something deeply something wrong dog. with this dog. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, and so you're watching done. that little girl mm-hmm. play with the dog. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and you're the whole time you're, for me, I was like, no. Yeah. No. <laughs> you know it's a, you know it's coming because and the movie it, does like yeah. It but just it, launches on her. Yeah. And then yeah. they've got this like softy brothers esque nightmare where the parents don't notice that oh, the, yeah. it's while she's being ravaged, right? And it's just mm-hmm. like yeah. I, that's the point where I'm literally shouting yeah. at the screen and being one of those type of people. The dog is throwing the girl around like a rag doll too. Like it is just oh. like different ends of bleakness and the kid in the middle being like, hey, something is happening here. <laughs> I, I want to point out the other scene too with Ruiz because I also think that's sort of like where I started to like realize, oh, this, this movie is kind of a masterpiece, right? Because Ruiz's wife calls him out and she's like that that goat we're like what nothing nothing seems different about the goat he recognizes something he comes up he shoots the shotgun every every goat leaves except one mm-hmm. yeah and that is all that, just that is amazing. it's like how do they yeah. even achieve that like that's yeah. amazing right like yeah yeah just um, good good stuff and then the turn with her in the axe too just just so abrupt like it's so immediate abrupt. the yeah. evil happens yeah. immediately i also think what a genius idea i mean i i, I don't know for certain it's never been done i've mm-hmm. never seen it done it just seems like such a brilliant flipping on its head of everything we've ever seen before in horror movies where the one thing you can't do is harm the evil. Mm-hmm. What a brilliant idea. Yeah. Like you can't hurt the thing that's here to hurt you. Like it, the <laughs> right. one thing you can't do is don't like that is it's brilliant because what are we always rooting for our heroes to do in these movies? Vanquish the evil, destroy the evil, defeat mm-hmm. it, figure out a way for, you know, the people that are stuck in the cabin to finally kill the killer. No, that's the one thing you cannot do in this well, situation. Well, you, you can, you just need a little little golden ice pick in the back you of need, the head, you know, mm-hmm. like uh, the yeah. old... The old ice pick trick. You, you need a suitcase filled with uh, equipment and tools. <laughs> and I also love that somewhere along the line, okay, okay, so God is effectively dead in this world, or religious thought is dead, the churches are no more. And this group of people have come up with an intricate way to stop mm. the evil, right? And they they never succeed, right? Like the evil yeah. is always one step ahead of them. Yeah. Kill that guy yeah. before it gets anywhere. This this woman at the end is just like, I'm trying. <laughs> just don't leave me alone. Like, I'm really trying to make this thing happen. And the evil always wins. Yeah. yeah. That scene where she's like, don't leave me. Don't are you leave me alone. Are you leaving me? <laughs> <laughs> I, I will say that I think uh, about that scene, you know, you're right. Like the movie continues to like break horror film rules, right? Like, mm-hmm. the, okay. Oh, this guy's the main character. He has a pregnant wife. Like maybe mm-hmm. he'll die, but the pregnant wife's going to survive. They're both dead in the first 10 minutes. Right. Yeah. Then 
uh, oh, the surely, surely the movie's not going to kill this this innocent girl. Uh, instead, she's These like children ripped, are safe. She, yeah, she's ripped to shreds by this dog, and then uh, so I'm already like yeah. quite shocked and upset by this, and then um, the most shocking thing after that is, is uh, like basically the mom and the kid. First of all, the kid coming mm-hmm. back to life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? I'm, that's like, I, it's it's rare that I've seen that where it happens. I, I've seen a thing where like a kid dies and then like they come back to like haunt the parent or whatever. You know, like even in Exorcist Believer, there's something similar, similar dynamic. Yeah. Um, but I haven't seen a thing where the kid dies and then literally two minutes later, they're breathing comfortably. Like they're I mean, alive and well, right? They're very um, much Pet cemetery vibes there sure, too. Sure, sure. So you know? like it's a lot of that. Uh, also that scene of Pedro going to his ex-wife's house, like we don't know the full backstory yeah, here. Yeah. Like a lot of stuff is communicated there from the wife's perspective, right? She, this guy is going crazy. Like, again, this is why I have a restraining order against him. I can't trust him with my kids. He is talking nonsense. There is a story too about what he had potentially done with his kids too. And the lingering guilt there, like there is that story. And then he knows the instant when the dog goes, like goes mad. I did this like the lingering sense too. Like, Oh, I am. We move the body, which honestly movie, if you can't hurt the evil, that, that seems like a, okay, maybe, maybe sure. Maybe that's a way to break the rules. Right. Um, but yeah, yeah, it's, he he is responsible. He and his brother and Ruiz are responsible for all this stuff happening. And that lingering sense of guilt, I built on him throughout the movie mm-hmm. too. I found that fascinating. I, yeah. I agree with you, David, that the, um, the, the, the kid coming back fine was mm-hmm. uh, disturbing in its own right. But I also kind of felt like that's the only way you get away with having yeah. the dog rip the kid to shreds. Yeah. <laughs> it's the only mm-hmm. way you get, get away with it. Because yeah. then you show the kid okay again and, and you let the audience off the hook a bit. Right, uh, you know, because right. at some point the audience doesn't forgive you, right? Like exactly, you can, you can lose the as a movie, you can exactly. lose the audience, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So and, so you go, oh, it, that was just this transition point yeah. to the kid becoming the evil thing. It wasn't actually a we we're 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 off the hook for right. actually thinking about the ramifications of that horror. You know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Also, like Jeff, I want to uh, probe a statement you made about like the goat spreading the evil immediately. Your interpretation was like, they killed themselves. She killed her husband and then herself because of the evil being within her. I initially at least interpreted it differently where I think it's a thing. It's a rule where if you shoot the evil, that's a bad mm-hmm. thing, right? Like you yeah. can't shoot it. And you yeah. So, the rules. so yeah. I think like I interpreted it as she killed her husband and herself to stop the evil from spreading. And she did that of her own recognizance. I no, did not, no, did not think no, that. Okay. No it, human it being kills themselves like that. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I mean, that was, that's a pretty bad, it <laughs> was a very go. gruesome way to, that's when that something is, the poster is inside of this you movie. forcing you to do that. <laughs> the poster of this movie is <laughs> okay. her looking at the ax and you don't know mm. what that means until you see the movie. I, I'll be honest. Uh-huh. Uh, I, I'm with you, Dave. That's how I initially took it. Because yeah. she is so yeah, terrified so upset about of what he is about to unleash yeah. that she doesn't want to be around for it so desperately. It's that cloudy. That's what she did. It's yeah. purposefully cloudy. We yeah. don't know the rule, the mm-hmm. full rules. Like I think yeah. the virality of evil is never fully explained, except like there is some sort of vi- there's some sort of transfer happening, and that yeah. is what we kind of have by the end of the movie. But I love that cloudiness. I love the like, well, 
it either could be she's trying to protect herself and the and the husband or the world or something, or it just gets to her. Either way, it's I don't the same buy it, guys. I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> if she yeah. just killed I, I him and ran, then yeah. maybe you'd have a point. Yes. But she pregnant mother decides yeah. to yeah. axe herself in the face. No. <laughs> yeah. That yeah. is how That's, scared we should but, be. Yes. <laughs> yes, yes. Indeed. Indeed. Yeah. That's how bad it is. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, Devinger, you talked a little bit about the ending and how like, the ending is very much evil triumphing, right? Evil is born and evil yeah. triumphs. And um, uh, that's just a bold ending for a movie, you know? And, and what are the ending. implications of that? We don't really even understand uh, at the end. I mean, right? so. sequel territory, baby. Like, yeah, really, yeah, sure. this is this is like, to me, the beginning of a franchise because you have such really interesting world building going on, too. Like, I don't want to turn everything into a franchise but i really want to know what is happening in the rest of the world here you know like what happens after the story you release the antichrist or whatever what what happens next to me when evil grows yes mm-hmm. yes Indeed. and um speaking of like movies that are totally bleak and just uh mean to their characters I'm, i was reminded of speak no evil a lot which yes. i know we both saw dave um mm. that movie i like parts oh, of it yeah. but i think I, th- yeah. I think like it ultimately ended in like a really unfulfilling place. Like I didn't, I didn't really want to know more about what was happening there. Whereas I think this movie, even though it's just as bleak, I do think it's more about like, well, what next? Cause I, you got me on the hook with this world. Yeah. Yeah, man, I was, uh, you just reminded me how angry yes. I was about, about yes. that movie. Speaking I of hated evil. that movie. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, w- well made in some ways, mm-hmm. but you know, sure. also very infuriating in, in some ways. Well, anyway, I think we're, we're winding down here. Um, Chris Rudd, I just want to go back to you and see if there's any other thoughts you have to share about this movie or the way it ended. No, I mean, I, I, like I said, I, I'm, it's interesting to me that we call the genre horror, but mm-hmm. what we really mean is that we want them to be scary. This movie didn't scare me a lot, but I was, I was thoroughly horrified. Mm. Um, and so for people that are into that sort of thing, I, I, I can't recommend anything higher. And it's interesting. It's the, I think fourth specifically possession horror film this year. Yep. Uh, and still, like you said, so creative, so fresh, so new. Two of those four movies are great. Talk to um, me in this are yes. incredible. Talk to me, yeah. Exorcist Believer. What's the other one, Chris? Uh, Pope's Exorcist. Yes. How could you forget? <laughs> I cannot forget the Pope's Exorcist. <laughs> Which right. I didn't hate yeah, uh, Russell Crowe on a Vespa. I really want to see um, it. Yeah. So yeah, for that reason, I, I think it's something special, something new. And, and for, for me, I, I, I've docked at points because it messed me up. Uh, and I, I would warn, I'd like to warn parents. Yeah. Uh, ahead of, but it's just like, you can't say, hey, parents watch out without people saying, oh, I guess something happens Some, to the kids. I mean, right? sometimes in uh, in ratings, like it tells you like, you know, something to kids or there are places, if you are concerned about this, there are places you can look it up. Yeah, you can go to doesthedogdie.com. Yeah. Uh, they need now a does the dog what, murder boy, does the, the dog child. Die. Does the dog ax itself in the face? Mm. Um, I, I have yeah. to tell you two quick little anecdotes about my watching of this movie. Please. Uh, one is that, uh, you know, you guys had very much flagged this as being something that I was not going to uh, handle easily. And so at the beginning of the movie, pregnant wife, I'm like, this is it. This is the thing. The pregnant, mm-hmm. pregnant oh. wife. This is the thing. We're going to see evil baby coming out of pregnant wife, ripping her to sh- what? I don't know what it, like, <laughs> movie completely swerves away from it. I mean, there's definitely something disturbing with pregnant wife, but I mean, not <laughs> in the way I thought was going to happen. You know, I, I knew there was going to be something with kids that was not going to be kosher, but uh, I thought it was going to be pregnant wife. And then I was very swerved on that. I thought that was impressive. The other, <laughs> the other thing is like Dave, 
uh, I watched this as a digital screener, which Same. means yeah. I was watching it on my computer screen in my office. And wait, I, wait, 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 wait. How has that happened? Jeff, we have to talk. We have to talk about getting that screener to your beautiful projector. It, it is it's not an easy process unless, it's, it's, unless I'm doing something very wrong. You, you're definitely doing something wrong, but it, we'll talk <laughs> right. about that. Anyway, I'll help you. Do Maybe it. it's like a VGA cable that the projector. No, it's just like, do you have an Apple TV, Jeff? Or are you still Rokuing it? Rokuing it. That's yeah. yeah. you can, you can, screen, I, I, I plugged my laptop into a, a TV. You, myself, you can do but, that too. Know. But, uh, but for a lot of movies these days, there are Apple TV apps that just, uh, you hit, yeah. you hit the button. And it plays. Yeah. All right. Anyway, Jeff, go ahead. Yes. Yeah. A lot of these screeners, they specifically have copy protection so that it makes it, makes it difficult for mm -hmm. you to do that, um, mm. which is totally the prerogative as an early yeah. screen. Anyway, the point I'm trying to make is I was watching it on my computer screen in my office and I was watching it. I decided knowing that it was going to be disturbing. I decided to watch it in the middle of the day. Oh, yeah, um, smart. Yeah, you know, smart. dark yeah, in my yeah. room. I wasn't like, I closed the shades and everything, but it was the middle of the day. So I could walk yeah. out to bright, beautiful sunshine yes. and breathe yeah. clean air. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, so I'm watching it at like, you know, two o'clock or whatever. And uh, my kids get home from school. And yeah. uh, my son had gotten a good report at his, from his teacher. And he came mm -hmm. down to tell me, came downstairs to the basement to tell me, knocks on my, uh, my office door. And so I pause, I pause the, the thing and turn and say, come in, buddy. And he walks in and stands there looking at the screen. And it says on the screen in bold print, motherfucker. Just huge, bold I mean, it could subtitle. be worse. It could, it could have been be worse. I checked to make sure, you know, I was pausing it in a scene that wasn't a horrific, mm -hmm. gruesome death. But I did not anticipate, you know, not the audio. I didn't look at this. The audio was not something I recognized because <laughs> yeah, 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 it's in a, yeah. not a language I speak. And it says motherfucker on the screen. And my son's staring at the And I'm like, ah, hang, hang on a second, buddy. Hang on a second. Perhaps, <laughs> perhaps the best outcome. Perhaps the like, best. I'm not yeah. calling attention to it. It's just. Yeah. yeah. It's Couldn't not the mother worse. eating the child's brains. It's not the little girl <laughs> being mauled by yeah. the dog. Yeah. It could be so yeah. many other things. I will good job say, on your, good yeah. job on your reading, buddy. Don't read that, though. <laughs> <Don't> read that. <laughs> we did get quite a number of comments on the Patreon page that were as follows. Quote, this is from Stranger to Reality, uh, writing in saying, quote, having just watched When Evil Lurks, Count me among the people who think it is going to be intensely upsetting for Jeff. Honestly, given what you guys know about him, I worry it crosses into genuinely cruel territory to make him watch it. Hey, Hopefully I'm wrong and he's okay. There were warnings. Many quote. mornings. Ar Ar <laughs> yeah. Arnoldo Cortez writes, When Evil Lurks is my favorite movie out of Fantastic Fest, so I'm incredibly excited for next week. Also, I have to add to the chorus and utter, you sick fucks under my breath for making Jeff watch it. <laughs> <laughs> we gotta least, do this every October. At least this is now an October tradition. At least and, our and audience got, cares about me. <laughs> I got multiple messages from Chris Rudd, our guest today uh -huh. on the show, being like, "Hey, is Jeff gonna be okay watching this?" You know, like, so Jeff, you have a brand, and that brand, you have a brand. is you're you're I'm a delicate a soul. You're a delicate, care, soul. Like we I'm care. A yeah, think about you. People, yeah. you know, people legitimately care about your emotional well-being, Jeff. I think yes. is kind of yes. that is very. When I watch, if only my co-hosts did. It was flagged. You were warned, Jeff. You walked into this fire. Like, I thought we, Dave yeah. asked me to be on this episode because Jeff was not going to be here. <laughs> oh. like, that would have been kind. Yeah. That would have be well, been a kind thing well, to Jeff, do. Jeff, we're, we're grateful for you taking the hit on this. You know, like, look, we have all, on, in the course of this podcast, watched things that we individually weren't big fans of. Yes. So sometimes yes. we got to take a hit. Jeff took a hit this week and undoubtedly, you know, 
Can I tell you, um, there are definitely some moments in this movie that I sort of emotionally turned away from Mm -hmm. and were hard to watch. It pales in comparison to watching Mass, Mm -hmm. for example. Yeah, yeah. Like, Mass is literally the most harrowing thing I've ever watched, I think. And so, but I also loved that movie. Um, so take that for what it's worth. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, that is the, the Fran Kranz 2021 drama mass for those who are, who are curious. Yeah. And also a movie that I suggested Jeff watch before our top 10 movies of the year. That, <laughs> yeah. Uh, this yeah. year. So um, I'm, I'm two for two in upsetting Jeff Kanata, you know, <laughs> but, uh, and you know, that one movie is much more kind of grounded in our reality. I think. Right? Well, that's I think that's why it's more disturbing. It's real. Too, yeah. Is yeah. like, it's, yeah. it's really talking about things that affect every day of our lives. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, right. guys, like the news is not great right now. And I find this movie a lot less disturbing than the headlines we are seeing right now, which seem to get progressively worse. So, or or know. no headlines. Maybe we don't even or get no. headlines anymore. Maybe mm-hmm. you yeah. don't. That is yeah. the, that is the opportunity slash, uh, benefit of watching horror films is like, you get to live out these feelings in a, in a safe environment where you yeah. don't feel, you know, nothing bad is actually going to happen to you watching unless your kid walks in and reads motherfucker on the <laughs> screen, you know? Yeah. yeah. But in general, best, nothing outcome. Gonna, best in, possible outcome. Indeed. 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 All right. Well, anyway, at the end of the day, it's really impressive that Demian Rugna made a movie. Uh, I want to give a big shout out to Chris Rudd. Be sure to check out his podcast streaming things as well as his TikTok page at movies are therapy. Chris, thanks for chatting with us today. Thanks, Chris. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. An absolute honor. Um, I do want to say real quick, um, this podcast I've listened to every Tuesday for seven or eight years Woo! Um, and is in many ways the reason I do what I do is certainly the reason I have a podcast. Uh, so thank you. It's surreal to be here. I still remember like it was yesterday mowing my lawn, listening to, to Jeff uh, talk about a rival in mm-hmm. such a personal way that I didn't know was allowed. Uh, and you know what I mean? And I still, that's it how wasn't. I review movies. No, I'm, just <laughs> I'm just joking. I told Jeff, never do that again, please. Yeah. No, I'm just joking. Never open your heart. Um, <laughs> he's been trying so, to destroy my soul ever since. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you. It was, yeah. uh, it was very strange and very awesome to, to be here with you. Oh, thanks well, for saying that. You. Very... you can find more episodes of this podcast at thefilmcast.com. Email us at slashfilmcast at gmail.com. And find us across all platforms at the Filmcast Pod. Find us on TikTok at the Filmcast. And also, if you want to support this podcast, patreon.com slash filmpodcast, where you can sign up for ad-free episodes and exclusive after darks. Next week, it's going to be Killers of the Flower Moon, new Martin Scorsese movie, three and a half hours long. Davindro, in the in the pre-show, we were talking about how like uh, I, I got to drink a, a whole latte. I, I never drink coffee. I'm going to drink a whole latte just to make sure I don't fall asleep. You don't need to drink thing. a whole latte. I will help you with the coffee. Don't worry. Too much liquid. <laughs> Too much liquid with the latte. Yeah. Uh, got to go lower. You're walking a fine line, Chen. <laughs> you got it because you got to time it. You got to time it so that you drink it early enough that you can feel the effects of the caffeine during the movie, but not so that you got to go to the bathroom three times during the movie. You know what I'm saying? It's really. I'm looking forward to going to the bathroom five or six times during that movie. Who said, <laughs> who said seeing movies? Yeah. Was easy, you know? No one. No one. That's what I have to say about it. Doing that that hard work. Mm -hmm. Next week, Killers of the Flower Moon here on the Filmcast. Thanks for listening. Until then, we'll see you later. Goodbye. Goodbye.